in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Jake, we are back Bitch. with the Watching Comics Podcast. We are here, and man, if this isn't the nichiest of niche episodes, at least for me, like this hits right in the sweet spot of my Venn diagram. Jake, I'm super excited. I am. I'm so excited. When I looked at once we updated our um, spreadsheet, looking ahead, I remember looking at this one and saying, "Holy crap! How <laughs> has it taken us that long to have this idea?" I know. And the thing is, is I'm pretty sure that I, I'm really. I'm kind of disappointed in myself for taking this long to get to it, but like, I'm pretty sure the idea was actually sparked on Twitter maybe a month or two back may have been by our, our good friend, Matthew Bell, shout out, Matt. I introduced him to Torchy's tacos one time and it was a great, great thing, but <laughs> he, he had, I, I believe he had reached out to us asking questions about our thoughts about this movie. And I was like, we could get a whole episode about it. There's no way we couldn't. There, why haven't we done this already? So here we are, Jake, I am finally ready to put my thoughts on the internet regarding the lost Superman movie that is Superman lives. It's time. Um, I've been mulling. I'm more than ready. Yeah. I I'm looking at our spreadsheet right now. And this is my favorite thing on the whole thing is under notes section. Cause there's three columns. There's the date, there's the topic, there's the notes. It's, it's a super extensive production schedule. <laughs> this is what you get with multiple master's degrees on one podcast. And we you get a Google sheet with three columns and a little bit of color coding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it used to just be two, but now we're, we've stepped up and the note is, think we could get a whole episode out of the lost Superman lives movie. And when I saw that, <laughs> I was actually just a little bit indignant and I was like, Dude, we got a whole episode out of like a two-minute trailer once. Of course we could get an episode out of this thing. <laughs> it was like, you could just turn me loose on Nick Cage as a subject, and I will go. So oh, you want to throw in Tim Burton and Superman. Let's do this crap. This really is like – this This hits so many different things for us, Jake, because we're very nostalgic about the 90s. And, and, and I, we're super huge Superman fans. Superman is definitely my flagship hero. And – we're not just talking, we're talking nineties with Nick Cage and nineties with Tim Burton. Like this is, this is apex mountain stuff we're hitting here. So I'm ready to dive in. Uh, Jake Superman lives is a movie that was really, really close to getting made. Like it was, they spent $12 million on everything that involves pre-production and got as much as reportedly two weeks before shooting before the plug was pulled on this movie. That's how close we got. We are so stinking close, Jake. We were so stinking close to it that um, I actually have a copy 
of the Kevin Smith Superman Lives script, and I have it bound and printed out and everything. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it available for free on his website. You can download it. Oh, that's right. He did that. I freaked out for a second. I was like, do you know Kevin Smith and you've been holding out on me? Oh, man, if only. You're right. He put that up, didn't he? Okay. He put that thing up. I got it, and I printed it out, and I took it to a printing store, and I got that thing bound like it was a real legit book. awesome. (laughs) So, like, this thing is not just, like – the the big what if of oh someone was in contract talks to star in this movie and then the script never got finished and it never happened no like they spent legitimately 12 to 13 million dollars on this movie four million of that went to tim burton for uh, the movie he didn't direct and three different screenwriters were attached to it kevin smith wesley strick and dan gilroy and some reports have said that they got up to about two weeks before filming and were slotted to spend about 250, somewhere between 250 and 300 million dollars on this movie back in 1996. So, like, this is a thing. You don't have to go very far into the Googles to find footage, both video and photographic um, evidence of Nicolas Cage costume testing all the costumes and everything like that. Like, this is. I feel like this is exactly where cult following comic book nerdery underbelly like eats because it's not just this massive what if or a weird little petition for something that doesn't exist that a thousand fans said they wanted. Like Jake, we, we really got super close to living in a world where this movie doesn't only exist, but it probably is better than Superman returns. I, I think that's a fair assessment and and one thing I want to dig into is the the like, man, it, it would have been better than Superman Returns. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And that's in spite of some insanity with the producer's demands and all of the crazy. And I'd heard some of this before, but really just sitting down and gathering it all at once was nuts. I mean, how, how do we want to approach this episode, I guess, yeah. is my question. How do we want to structure this conversation? Good question. So I want to I want to present three different outlets to you, and then maybe you can help steer this thing. So as far as I'm concerned, there, there are three of the most trusted avenues that I have that I have seen regarding this movie are different videos. One is the Kevin Smith story. And I actually linked these up on the, our uh, Twitter page the other day. Kevin Smith has these series of, of uh, movies called an evening with Kevin Smith, where he would go to campuses or amphitheaters and um, just have a open lecture series where he would let people ask questions and he would just tell stories and lecture about the business and his life and, and stuff like that. Well, in the very first evening with Kevin Smith, I think all the way back in 2003, Date Check Me is when that came out. So he was asked about the Superman movie that he wrote on a fan, asked him about it, and he gave a 20-minute answer unpacking this whole thing. And you can actually watch that bit on YouTube. And that was kind of how I got introduced to this concept in more detail. Like I always knew that Nicolas Cage was going to be be Superman at one point, but that I, I hadn't seen much beyond that. And then this story like brought it to life because he had so much crazy detail. And then that took me to – um, the the fan made documentary of the death of Superman Lives, which is on YouTube as well, which is a full hour and forty five minute um, fan made documentary with interviews with people with the movie, including John Peters and Kevin Smith, and that just kind of blows the roof off the joint, giving you so much detail and reporting. And then um, 
there's a there's a YouTube channel called the Solomon Society that a couple years ago put together a nice high quality 10 minute video called Tim Burton's canceled Superman movie that kind of takes all the greatest hits from those other two components and puts it together in a visually appealing like short video to say like here are the cliff notes version so as far as i i can tell like that was kind of the way i pieced all of that stuff together so like do we maybe want to riff on some of the kevin smith stuff because that's kind of outrageous to begin with yeah i do really i I watched those videos again last night i had seen i don't know that i'd ever seen it all at once because i've a lot of this has been a lot of the story surrounding this you're exactly right underbelly like it's been very much the deep dark portions of the comic book superhero internet you've there've always been rumors flying about this thing and we've heard stuff about it we've had rumors fly and you'd get little bits and pieces here and then Kevin Smith did his his 20 minutes man I love Kevin Smith so much don't ask that man a question if you don't want the real answer because <laughs> you're going to get it um And like my favorite thing about that whole 20 minute response is the grin on the face of the guy who asked the question, who's like, oh, I just won. He's going to do my question for the rest of the night, Um, which is totally a thing. I forget which one it is. This is totally a side note, but it may have been the third evening with Kevin Smith. I've actually watched where um, I think that version is two hours long, his third installment, and it's in no joke the first 90 minutes of it is him answering one question <laughs> it's so like man if there if there were one person in like the weird circle that we choose to comment on that i could just spend some time with it might be kevin smith it changes day to day but he's on the list man um i i think that the kevin smith angle on is so fascinating cuz kevin smith is a guy who has you know he blames it on being from new jersey but he's always been kind of gleeful and happy to poke Hollywood in the eye, even as much as he celebrates and loves it. And so you can, you can see from Kevin Smith when that question gets answered that he's kind of delighted to be like, let me put it all out there and tell you this insane story <laughs> about giant spiders. And, yes. <laughs> Oh and, and Barbara Streisand's hairdresser and on and on. And having and, a Superman movie with a, without a Superman suit or a flying Superman. I mean, so let's talk about that. What the heck, man? Like, well, I, I understand that this guy, this I cannot remember this producer's name. Um, John Peters. John Peters. I understand that John Peters, from all that I have ever read about the man, is a little bit, uh, he's kind of a different cat, right? Like he's, he's different. He's, he's kind of out there and that's cool. But I just, how do you get to the point where you're like, you know what the world needs right now is a movie where Superman dresses like a normal dude and walks everywhere. That's what I would re- I think that's what America needs at this point. That's essentially what we had with Superman Returns, except he was wearing a cape while he was walking and being emo everywhere. That's true. <laughs> as he as he punched an island at the end, and yeah, he... <laughs> because again, Lex Luthor really wanted to buy some land. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's really interesting is John Peters. Previously to that, was the lead producer of the first Batman movie. Yeah, and here. I, I almost wonder if the first Batman movie was like 
this massive fluke where they caught lightning in a bottle that should have actually just electrocuted everybody to death instead. Because Tim Burton has, well, first of all, Tim Burton's actually a really horrible human being in real life. So like, I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to be a huge supporter of his work as a general rule because he's actually only wants white people in his movies. That's not hyperbole. That's a problem. Um, it's a good, it's also I a did good not, thing. Man, that his career, I'm not good at keeping up on that, man. That is disappointing. Well, it's also a good thing that his career took a massive nosedive after 2001. So it doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> so, but here's the thing with Batman. When he got latched onto this movie, he flat out said publicly, he was like, I've never read a comic book before. And so Ooh. he wasn't out to make a comic book movie. And if you look at that movie, production design and actual cinematography aside, like it's a high quality action flick, but he doesn't film or frame anything like a comic book movie. He doesn't really pay homage to any of the lineage of Bruce Wayne or Batman in the traditional sense either outside of just the broad strokes paint by number stuff that they said, okay, you have to have this now per John Peters' interview in the lengthy documentary, as well as Kevin Smith's account of him, it is clear that John is not a comic book reader either. So it's almost like the first <laughs> Batman movie was a giant accident into awesomeness. And then John was like, okay, well, if we did that, then why can't we do that with Superman? So his thing is like, the great, the secret to a movie is you make it a high quality action movie and then you break the convention by doing these crazy zigs when everyone else was zagging and then it becomes the new shtick. So he's like trying to create a formula for a thing that doesn't have a formula. And I think that was my limited vantage point. I almost think that's what he's trying to go after. And so then Kevin Smith is sitting here saying, it's like, well, you got to understand, like that may be a cool concept, but there are some non-negotiables with Superman. Like the fortress of solitude remains solitude. Superman wears an S on his chest and he flies. Like it was like Peters was trying so hard to do the same thing he did with Batman that he just wasn't even paying attention to anything else. And Smith was signing signing on for it anyway, just to say that he got to write for the Superman movie and collect a big paycheck, whether it was going to be good or not, I guess. That's really well. And, and also like, I think one of the very first things I ever read about this movie was a few years back. I read this bit about the spider and about the obsession that he had with, there has to be a giant spider in the third act and connecting that with um with uh oh what was the next movie um wild wild west wild wild west which i did see in a theater um because but that movie well because once upon a time well that just like there was a time where you could you could put will smith in a movie and you had a pretty good shot at it being a genuinely good movie i mean those days are past us i think well, mid nineties to early two thousands, he had the re well, he still may have the record of most consecutive movies that got to number one on the box office. Yeah, and so like, so I, I just want to say we all got sucked in, right? Like we all fell for Wild Wild West at the time. That doesn't mean we all walked out like that was life changing and great, but we all went and saw it in the theater because we're like, oh, cool. It's going to be the Fresh Prince in the Wild West. That's fun. And then it wasn't fun. But uh, I digress. The, the giant spider thing. 
what the, I don't know, man. It's so weird. <laughs> it's just so obsessed well, with, ultimate, we got to get this giant spider. It's so, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. The ultimate irony is Wild Wild West got a good chunk of the money that was supposed to go to Superman Lives. They pull the plug on Superman Lives. They refunnel a good chunk of that budget to Wild Wild West, and then Wild Wild West goes on to be famously um, in debt. Like, that that movie loses so much money in the box office. Well, and I, I just think that, like, I think – so let me come back around. I, I kind of – I've been so – fascinated by this character this this spider guy um and his like or when he's like polar bears or the ultimate killing machine and and i've been so (laughs) the brainiac needs to kill polar bears at the fortress of solitude yes (laughs) or when he's like well wouldn't he fight superman's guards and kevin smith's like why would superman have guards (laughs) and i i just look at it and i think to come back around what you're saying i think you're right i think that one of the big takeaways, and I have, I have two main takeaways I wanted to hit here, and this is going to be the first one. And you set me up beautifully for it, and then I, I meandered a bit. I think that the Batman movies, the, the Burton Batman movies, were such a beautiful accident. And I don't mean that like no one involved knew what they were doing. I don't mean that like they should suck. I just mean when you look at all of those elements – Danny DeVito and, you know, Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. And it's all it's the late 80s, early 90s. And we're going to throw all of that in together and we're going to make some movies and it's going to be darkly gothic and this, that and the other. I, I really. There's a lot of reasons why that should not have worked. And yet they're great movies they're brilliant movies. They they really are so important to, you know, getting us to where we are with comic book films. And I think that's so fascinating to me that one thing we see with Superman Lives is that that sort of lightning in a bottle moment is not easy to capture twice. It's really not. And it still blows my mind that I could love Batman Returns as much as I do and have it be directed by a racist guy that doesn't like comic books. Because I, I, I <laughs> depending on the day, I can make the case that Batman Returns is the second best Batman movie made out of the entire canon. And I, that, like, and I mean that seriously, and I've said that before on this podcast. So, yeah. But the other thing is, too, is if – if maybe John Peters isn't involved, but the rest of it goes forward the way that it was planned to be, I wonder if I still would have enjoyed the movie. Because, like, here's the deal. 90s Nicolas Cage, like, again, it's the same thing we're talking about with, with Will Smith, Wild Wild West, right? Like, we were all there. We were all ready to do it. Like, Nick, at one point, Nicolas Cage was an Oscar winner and a bankable star in a variety of different genres of movies. And Tim Burton was at the top of his game at this point, right? And especially, like, get this, Dan Gilroy ended up being the next, like, being the screenwriter that was supposed to take this story to screen with Burton after Kevin Smith was booted off. So either one of those guys would have been home run screenwriters. Dan Gilroy is the guy that gave us a uh, Nightcrawler, Velvet Budsaw, and Roman J. Israel. Like, he's an incredible writer and filmmaker. So either way, I think that this movie carried a lot of potential because uh, Jim Carrey was rumored to be Brainiac 
and Kevin Spacey was going to be in it before we knew anything about him. So we, we still liked him at the time. And um, some of the lowest lanes being batted around was Courtney Cox and Sandra Bullock and Julianne Moore. You know, th- th- this was a movie that had star power, high production value, because it was going to be the most expensive movie ever made at that point. And um, clearly a different take than the Boy Scout we all love in Superman. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, part of me wants to say is I would have seen that movie and I'm open to the fact of being happy leaving the movie theater. Well, so, okay, so you, man, this is so good. We're so much on the same page here because you are setting me up beautifully for the other point that I really wanted to hit on tonight. Um, And that is this. All of the elements are there for this thing to actually be not just watchable. Like we laugh at this idea now because we're looking at it from 2019. We're on the other side of that bridge and we're looking across the river and we're seeing we see Nicolas Cage screaming about the bees and we see <laughs> Alice in Wonderland oh, and we Nicolas don't Cage see losing his ish will forever go down as one of my favorite YouTube videos. <laughs> and we're, we're seeing all of this stuff, right? And we're looking at what we know now about some of the things that these people have done. What we're not seeing is from 1997 where what we've got is Tim Burton is hot off of Batman uh, Edward Scissorhands, you know, we're Beetle looking juice. at Beetlejuice. Nicholas Cage has done, you know, Nicholas Cage at the time is still the guy from Raising Arizona. He's still the guy, you know, I think this is probably Face right off, around the, yeah, rock, I was going to say probably the air. rock. Yeah. So he's like, he's at the peak of his game. And saying we're going to have the guy who did right by Superman or by Batman now do the same with do say what? Keep talking. I'm going to I'm going to okay. research to see if Nicolas Cage had his Oscar by then. I'm pretty sure he did. See, and that's what I actually was trying to find that out in between, but I couldn't find it in time. Yeah, so he's like at this yeah, point in did. history. He so he's an for, Oscar winner. He's an Oscar winner in 1996. So yeah, he's fresh off of that. So so we've got Nicolas Cage Oscar winner being paired up with Tim Burton, who's hot off of Batman. And this is not a thing that we're all looking at at the time if it comes out and saying, oh, gosh, that's hilarious. We're looking at it and going, holy crap, how did they get all these people in the same room with the Superman franchise? And I'm telling you, if this thing happened giant spider or not there's a decent chance that people love it and that we remember it as fondly as we do the burton batman films i and i don't think that's crazy to say you know like okay we we live in a world where we have superman 3 superman 4 and superman returns all 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 living out there for anybody to watch and talk about whenever they want to you can't you can't tell me that this movie doesn't at least beat those right i realize that that's a low bar but at the same time it's like we're kind of slim pickings for high quality superman movies in the grand scheme of things um what what fascinates me is the storyline let's let's pick this apart a little bit jake so um pick up the pieces that i miss here if i understand correctly at least kevin smith's iteration of the story included um it started with the death of Superman with Doomsday and then the reborn narrative. It includes Brainiac. 
and Lois Lane and even scenes with uh, Batman in it, which would have been a massive, massive crossover at the time. So, oh, yeah, this, this is a movie that would be I, it would be massive even if we did that today, like by not just by budget, just but in scope and overall narrative girth that you're trying to put on screen in a single movie instead of a TV show or a miniseries. Because the 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 death of Superman and rebirth of Superman and all of those characters and having Brainiac in there, like that is a massive, massive task. So it doesn't surprise me that this movie was going to be humongous. There was going to be three different Superman suits in the movie and it was going to be maybe the most expensive movie made to date. So tell me tell me what do you make of those story components and 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 does that do you think that that's still a good idea worth exploring, or do you think there are some components that were weak? Why don't you, why don't you unpack this a little bit for me? Okay, so first of all, I am still baffled that by this point in history, like I got to see Baron Zemo on screen in some form before I got to see Brainiac. And yeah. the only thing we have of Brainiac is the animated cartoon and then the sci-fi Krypton series. Right, like I and and. There's so much good – man, just do the Brainiac story from like what, nine, ten years ago, somewhere in there where he kills Pa Kent and oh my gosh. And they find – oh, there's so much good in there. And like there's just – I don't understand why – like why are we so on the Lex Luthor problem? And I'm not saying that like Lex Luthor – Lex Luthor's a brilliant villain. There's an incredible – there's such an incredible dichotomy there between he's Lex – He's still never been completely treated right on screen either. Exactly. We still don't have like a true like everything that's good about the character Lex Luthor where we get this battle between like Lex Luthor in so many ways is all of us and all of our values but turned inside out and evil because he is about no we want to be self-made and not just born with something and we we want to prove that regular humans are capable of great things, but he takes it to this perverse place. And, and no, you're exactly right. Like, I don't know. And this is not to question. There have been some truly great Superman films and there've been some truly bad ones. And I'm not trying to say we've never seen a good one, but I don't know that I've ever seen a Superman film where I said the villains there were really well done. And, and that's not to insult the performances of those who have played Lex Luthor, it is just to look at it and, and, you know, some of them were done in a different time, but it's just to say that I don't know that I've ever seen a a writer or a film just kind of grab the, the toys in Superman's toy box and really do something great with them. And that's a shame. You're not feeling Steppenwolf or nuclear man. Not yet. You know, um, (laughs) I, I mean, we've talked before where I was like, oh, oh, man, they totally set up. I mean, Batman versus Superman's got its problems, man, but they're setting up for dark side. Oh, they're oh, his uncle. Oh, oh, Steppenwolf. Okay, All right. And it's it's dark side adjacent. Right. And uh, yeah, that's just it. I was like, I I guess I guess that's cool. Okay, I mean, it's sort of he's from Apocalypse. Okay, And so, like. The other thing there, though, is I think that I think that super the death of Superman, I've never been a fan of that story. And I've never really felt like it was accessible because I'm going to tell you that, like, I 
I can explain some pretty screwed up stuff to people that have happened in comic books, but I have a lot of trouble explaining in a way that people have any idea what the hell I'm saying the story to the death of Superman. And that doesn't mean it's bad. I'm not trying to say it sucks. It's just never been for me. And so I, I do kind of hate, like, I don't know, hate's a strong word. I don't care for the fact that for some reason we're at this point where we're, you know, it feels like we've been for 15 years trying, trying, trying to adapt that story. When I'm like, there's so many better Superman stories before and since and I, I don't know. I really want to see some other stories get adapted. What about for the man who has everything? Like, what if some director had the cojones or the or the, you know, if it's a lady, the not cojones, whatever um, to. But if some the guts to make for the man who has everything. Are you familiar with that one? You've got oh, yeah, 100 percent. It's it's might be. I mean, it's like that and all star Superman, I think, are the best Superman stories ever told. And man, or all-star Superman, you put it up on our, on our voting and, or you've pitched the kingdom come idea before. Like there's so many great Superman stories to mine. Yeah. So what I did this week was actually just yeah, put the up of, of, of the three that we've talked about before on the pod. And I did, um, Oscar Isaac and red Sun. I did Viggo Mortensen and kingdom come and Anthony Mackie and all-star Superman. But for the man who has everything, I mean, Okay, it's no secret how you and I feel about Alan Moore. So if we wanted to do for the man who has everything and whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, like I I would probably see those movies and then die a happy man. Man, and can you imagine for the man who has everything would be such a it would be such a different kind of super like it would have to be done as an Elseworlds kind of thing, you know, or I guess it doesn't have to be Elseworlds. It can still be in continuity, but you'd have to take such a different approach because it's such a much more introspective character study where Superman never really punches much, you know, and you could, you could do a great showdown with Mongol at the end, I suppose, you know, and you could probably throw some of those popcorn elements in there, but man, there's, for those who don't know, the basics of this story are that, it's Superman experiencing an alternate world where he never left Krypton. It was never destroyed. He has a family and it's him just living out this life. And you come to find out that he's got this in real life. He's got this like alien parasite on him. That's I think it's killing him or it's keeping him comatose and it's doing it by like, implanting these memories in him of a life that he never lived. And he basically has to let this family that to him is as real as anything go so that he can come back to reality and save everyone from Mongol. And it's, it's heartbreaking in the best way. And it's such a like deep look at what's, you know, cause it's so easy to be like Superman's cool. Cause he punches stuff and bullets can't hurt him. But what really is awesome about Superman is that, in spite of being invincible, he manages to be more human than most characters. And I think that story would be so cool to see adapted in a, in the right way. Uh, you're preaching to the converted here. Like that, that really could be, uh, that really could be some of the best Superman that we've ever seen on screen. Um, so I, I'm so fascinated by the concept of Jim Carrey doing Brainiac. Oh yeah. That one. 
because we I well I, I let my love for Batman Forever be become known last week and he was a big piece of that. But I I, I don't know if he goes forward with Brainiac, does Batman Forever with Jim Carrey happen? Okay, I mean, do we want to play alternate timeline here? Because if this movie gets made, nothing is the same, man. No, I Superman Returns may not happen, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think it does. I, I I would ask because here's the thing: either this movie is a gigantic success, or it is a gigantic flop. But whichever it is, you know that it. You know how interconnected Hollywood is and how everything is a reaction to the money someone else made or didn't make. And whether it succeeds or doesn't, I promise you this movie has an impact on does the X-Men movie get made just a couple years later? Are they willing mm-hmm. to let, are they willing I to let about that? Yeah. Are they going to do Spider-Man a few years after that? And without X-Men and Spider-Man is the MCU going to happen? And you know, you really looking at this renaissance of superhero films that we're living in the midst of, and a lot of it, it's almost like, and I'm going to go ahead and pull a Zack Snyder here and run with the Christ analogy and say, it's almost like this movie had to die so that everything else could live. And the thing is, is I want to tell you that you took it too far. But at the same time, like because because it's Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton and because it is flipping Superman, there was no way for this movie to become a rocketeer where it was just really decent. And those that remember it, enjoy it. But it's just kind of forgotten in the catacombs of the general populist consensus. Right. Like that doesn't happen with a superhero like Superman and the names attached to it that were attached to it. And so you you can't even really explore that. So then that leaves you with it's either Batman and Robin bat nipples type of failure or it's potentially Batman returns kind of lightning in a bottle. And holy crap, I don't know if it's even – I don't know if you can even predict which it would be, but I can tell you it's just, it's one of those things. The more I think about it and the more I talk about it, the more I just want to see it, not necessarily out of being a Superman fan, but it's like, I feel like we deserve to see the finished product just to see what the heck they would have put on the screen. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, I want to go to that alternate universe where this film got made. I really want to go there and I really want to see what was this thing like? Because it is, man, there's a lot going on here. And it it would have been such a beautiful insanity, no matter what, whether it was good or bad, you know it would have been nuts. And it would have been either Mystery Science Theater 3000 quality, or it would have completely changed how we do superhero movies, I think. Man. I, I didn't think we would be getting to this point, but here we are. And it may, I don't know. It makes sense. Maybe I'm just really tired. I don't know. But it, <laughs> I'm, I'm right I, well, I don't want to over. I'm not trying to say like if this movie gets made, then it's my favorite movie ever. I, I don't know if it's even any good. Well, I just think no, as bankable I mean, as the shadow still exists. Like we can't. Do <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's <laughs> shadow. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I just think that like, as like as bankable as everyone involved in this thing was 
it it would have had an impact on something whether it succeeded or failed it would have directed something in some direction you know i mean think about like how much money disney lost over the last 10 years trying to reboot the the pulp heroes from the early 1900s like john carter of mars and the the lone ranger and like how much energy disney sunk into that and now you just like nobody wants to touch those properties and you know you look at how things just get you know hollywood gets these weird ideas and they get this they see trends where there aren't trends you know they see one or two movies and they decide oh no this kind of thing can't make money and then you spend the next 30 years with everybody like no really you just got to do it well and we'd totally be on board well this and is clearly the secret is giant spiders it, it obviously is i mean <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just think that there's so much intriguing stuff here. And I am really fascinated about Kevin Smith is like the comic book fans, comic book fan. Like I've I've called him here before the patron saint of comic book podcasts. And and I do believe that um, he has done a ton for just like being accessible and funny, but still nerdy and weird, like just owning what he is but doing it in a way that wasn't smelly, you know, like nobody wanted to stay away from him. And I, as much of a comic book fan as he is, I am fascinated by his, like, obviously he thought it could have worked or he wouldn't have written the thing, right? Like on some level, he has to think I can do a Superman movie where Superman neither flies nor wears the suit. And oh yeah, the final battle is against a giant spider. Well, here's, and, the, here's the interesting alternate universe for you, Jake. So if Superman retur- if Superman lives is the tipping point for whether or not X-Men and Spider-Man get made, which then, you know, exo facto could be the, the domino that either supports or destroys the MCU. Okay. If, if Superman lives really does sit at this point of influence, I dare posit to say Kevin Smith is the only one involved where if his version of the movie gets made, his is the only career that doesn't change. I feel like maybe, maybe he makes one more superhero movie because it would have been a, if it's a, if it's a great success, maybe he makes one more superhero movie because they just give him another ridiculously large check. But then does he probably just goes back and does the rest of what his career has been. Right. And that's not a negative thing, but it's like, because at that point he had just done basically mall rats, clerks and chasing Amy. And I don't, I don't see much of the way he carries himself and the type of work that he does and the type of things that he pursues and the way that he engages pop culture. I don't see that changing whether the movie gets made or not. So it's kind of like, he's the ultimate, like he's the man of steel at that point. He's the untouchable guy where his career is is just as successful with or without it. But if this movie gets made for anybody else that's involved, it changes everything. Does does that seem plausible? I think it does, because like Kevin Smith has has just really again, he attributes it to New Jersey. But it's just this like he's just so happy to not be like anyone else. And he has. You know, his one flirtation with a big studio project was, what was it called, Cop Out or whatever with Bruce Willis? 
Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I have you read his book, by the way, uh, Kevin Smith's? No, I haven't. But I've I've uh, I've seen a lot of the evening with Kevin Smith. That's where a lot of my personal yeah. history with him goes. It's excellent that book, and he he pulls no punches about how he feels about Bruce Willis now. I would but, expect um, nothing less. <laughs> I, I think that yeah, if this gets made, he probably well because he still went on to write some comic books, you know, and he still went on to do Dogma and do some other things that were moderately successful at the box office, but he kind of just does his own thing. You know, he, he is just happy to be Kevin Smith, whatever that means. And I think you're pretty right. Kevin Smith is kind of our, like, he's the prime, he's the guy that the prime timeline runs through, right? Like it's all going to be the same around him, no matter what. Well, well now he's the go-to guy for the initial opinions. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like part of grading comic book culture now is seeing what his response is to it and then it's it's almost like he's a more realistic barometer of rotten tomatoes like it's it's we get (laughs) we we get some comic book entertainment we develop our hot takes about it before we see the thing then kevin smith goes and sees the thing and we deeply appreciate his feedback and we ingest that then we go and see the thing and we don't just come up with our own takes we compare it to whatever it is that he had to say yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment that he very much is, yeah, a more reasonable version of Rotten Tomatoes. I love that way of describing him. Because he's certainly earned that point, and he definitely is, I mean, as as vulgar and as unapologetic as he can be, at the core of everything, you can definitely say that the guy is one of the best learned students of film history, and he is a huge champion for respecting and celebrating that which he criticizes, namely and especially the comic book arena. Yeah, I, he's he's very much about all of that. Now, I think that's a really good assessment, and I do think that he he probably just presses on with his career, no matter what happens. Yeah, so it's like so clearly Kevin Smith is stronger than Nicolas Cage. That's really what we're getting at right here. <laughs> yeah, how do you think? I mean. Gosh, dare we go down the rabbit hole that is Nicolas Cage? Oh, man. Okay, so here's the deal. Like, we we have phases of Nicolas Cage. Yes. We have we have we have three phases. We have the '80s, which was the we think he's attractive, but his teeth are kind of messy. But we like <laughs> seeing him on screen, and he's quirky early Nicolas Cage, like moonstruck Nicolas Cage. Then we have the the mid to late 90s run of he can do no wrong and it makes total sense for him to win an Oscar in a year where Anthony Hopkins and Richard Dreyfuss were nominated. And he he does every genre and he he owns it with unapologetic gusto. And then we have the 21st century Nicolas Cage, which is, you know, the man still has talent, but he really just needs a paycheck. And you can't lean into one without owning the fact that the other two exist, no matter where you reside on the spectrum of which one is your favorite. And so the thing that sucks about it is, is you can't 
have the Nicolas Cage conversation anymore without leaning into the ironic millennial humor, which is partially kind of cool. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? Like Raising Arizona, Matchstick Men, and some of those movies are bringing out the dead for Lord's sake. Like they are legitimate performance in incredible movies and they deserve to be remembered as darn near great to masterpiece level performances in indie movies. But so much of the other stuff is either campy because it's Jerry Bruckheimer nineties, or it's campy because it's the wicker man, the bees, the bees, the bees. (laughs) And so I, I don't even know if there's a thesis statement to be had about Nicolas Cage other than you can't talk about one era without acknowledging the baggage of all the others. So, um, does the Superman movie change that form if it gets made and it's a success? I have no earthly idea because that guy is eccentric to the extreme. Um, but Nicolas Cage, yeah, there's a lot there. There's so much to – I think you did a pretty good job of summarizing what is one of the most, let's say, eclectic careers <laughs> in Hollywood. I think eclectic and, is about as safe as you can get with it. And I think you're also fair to him because I think you're exactly right. The guy has got talent. The guy is able to do and, – and even currently, you know, I mean he did – he was Spider-Man noir in – the Spider-Verse movie. And, and it was it was awesome. It was it awesome. Was perfect. And he was Big Daddy and Kick-Ass. And that was, you know, he was so good, so tongue-in-cheek in that. And he's done so much good stuff. He's also screamed about the bees, yeah. And he has also really done some just strange stuff that it is clear that he was happy to take a paycheck to put his name on a weird project. And yeah, I, I think you're exactly right that I think we can be fair to Nicolas Cage in both directions. We can say he's far more talented than the millennial humor tends to give him credit for, but he's also as bizarre as the millennial humor <laughs> accuses him of being. Exactly. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, and that's what makes him such a fascinating icon. Man. So here's where where I always come down on the – him as Superman potentially is that I I think that he is such a renowned comic book fan. And I understand that the Ghost Rider films were not stellar, but I, I think that Nicolas Cage is such a renowned comic book fan who I really think would have brought a lot of just dedication and a lot of passion to Superman lives that I actually think that if this project happened, his performance would be one of the better parts of it. As weird as that sounds and as bizarre as he looks in those screenshots or those screen test pictures, I really think that his performance would have been outstanding in this movie. I think that's fair to say. And maybe that's the hot take is the, is the fact that we're acknowledging that the man has talent and especially was wielding that talent at that time period of this movie. And he has said in interviews before that he really believed in the movie and he believed it had potential. And that's why he signed on to do it. Like it wasn't just because it was the majesty of getting to do this really cool, expensive thing after he won an Oscar. And I think, and and when we say like a good performance, I'm not saying that he's going to bring a great level of authentic nuance 
to Kalel, but <laughs> I I think he would have fit well in a Tim Burton superhero universe, and I I mean that with as high a praise as I can possibly give to a guy as eclectically weird as Nick Cage about a movie that didn't get made. Yeah, is you know I am I wrong that I often think of Nick Cage and Keanu Reeves at the same time in just not in any sense other than our opinion of them shifts so much every 10 years or so as a, as a collective public, because 10 years ago, Keanu Reeves was almost, and I don't, I mean, Keanu seems like such a good dude right now. And all the stuff I read, I'm, I feel bad for even saying this, but he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. He was, and he was having a hard time finding work. Yeah, everybody was like, oh, yeah, you got to get Keanu Reeves. And they'd be like, I know Kung Fu. And I'm like, okay, come on. You know, like, are you trying to tell me The Matrix, the first one, was a bad movie? Come on, guys. And at the same – but now it's like John Wick happens, and suddenly Keanu Reeves is, like, back on top, and people are going out of their way to tell all these stories about what a great guy he is. And and that's so cool, and I'm so happy for him. It's just I, – I think of him and Nick Cage similarly in that about every 10 years as a society, we sort of shift our opinion on these people and we pivot to, ah, uh, he did suck 10 years ago, but now we absolutely love him and we're going to forget that we didn't like his stuff 10 years ago. And yeah, Nick Cage used to be an Oscar winner, but now we just think he's a crazy guy who shouts at weird volumes <laughs> and – so I, I don't know. I, I just think it's fascinating how fickle we can be. And and I know I'm not cool and original for making that observation, but it's fascinating. No, it, it is. And w- it'll be really interesting to see what we do with Nick Cage as he settles into older age, because he's he's almost to the point where he's going to have to start taking the 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 mentor or grandpa or weird uncle or father types of roles uh, a whole lot more now. And in because he's not going to stop working, he's going to keep doing what he's doing. But it'll be interesting to see how he leans into the next age demographic and how that transforms into the scripts he says yes to. Man, I'm so excited to see where it goes, because can't you see him like I I can totally see Nicolas Cage doing one of two things. I can see him going the Liam Neeson direction and just being like, nope. I'm going to keep shooting dudes well into my 60s. Or I could easily see him just being like, okay, I'm going to settle back and do the Morgan Freeman thing and make only critically, you know, I'm going to be everybody's dad's favorite actor, win an Oscar here or there. And like, can't you see, like, can't you see him just blowing all our minds and returning next year to be in this like incredible movie that sweeps the Oscars and redefines his career. Cause I can see that level of insanity. And then his next movie is like the nutty professor three, you know, like I could totally see him doing all of that. I want, I want, I mean, this isn't out of the realm of possibility, really what you have highlighted <laughs> out. Here's what I, here's what I want for, for the part of me that wants to stand for Nick cage. I, I'm very divided on this concept, but part of me does want to stand for him. I, I want him to do another movie with either the Coen brothers or Charlie Kaufman because Raising Arizona and Adaptation are not just two of his best performances. They're two of the best movies that he's ever been a part of just from top to bottom. And and they were both uh, 
award worthy and beloved and have lasted the test of time and have aged really, really well. And so I, I want him to do something like that. If he could, if he could come in a Joel and Ethan Cohen flick, or if Charlie Kaufman had another quirky role for him in a great script, I think then it would be the, the Keanu Reeves bit again, where it's like, Oh, Nick Cage. Hey, Hey, <laughs> so jake superman lives our life is bereft of it do you think your life is better with what we have or do you think it would be better if we had a completed film i think that it that that hinges on how seriously you want to take my theory about the alternate timelines and this being the dividing point you know and this is back to the future part two with the alternate 1985. And yeah, I mean, is <laughs> it, you want to stay here with Biff running the show? <laughs> I, I'm pumping the brakes on so many jokes right now. Um, I think that, I think that big picture, what we have is so good. And, and I really just celebrate where we're at with comic books and superhero films and all of it. But, as far as Superman goes, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think that, no, I don't think it would have been great. Like now that I've sat here and talked about all the things it could have been and all the good it could have done, at the end of the day, I am looking at it from 2019. And I do see it from the perspective of knowing what I know now. And I just think it's too weird. And I just think there's too much not working about it. And I, I don't want to watch a Superman who can't fly. And I don't want to watch a movie that has Brainiac in it end with a spider fight. And <laughs> I, I think ultimately, plus also what's he going to do to the spider when he can't fly? Like, how's he going to get up there to hit it? And so, mm. yeah, logic. I already, there's no room for, there's no room for logic in a Superman movie, Jake, especially in the nineties. Well, clearly. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I personally, no, I don't think this would have been a great film, but I have been very wrong about so many things in my life and in the entertainment world that I'm I'm comfortable saying it could have been awesome. What's your take? Uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't anticipating the alternate timelines piece for you to bring that up in here and just completely like shatter all convention of everything that we knew before. So before you dropped that bomb, I was ready to just say my life would be better with that movie because I need to see the completed project, whether it's great or not, because you know what? I'm the guy that paid money to see Superman returns in the movie theater. It can't get much lower than that. Oh, I paid for it too, man. I paid for other people's tickets to see that movie. (laughs) I took family members with me to see that movie. Oh, man. Nicolas Cage. We hardly knew ye, and yet you are so familiar. <laughs> what if we're like, you know, if you're going to buy into the multiverse theory, what if we're the one dimension where this movie didn't happen? Like, what if that's the difference then that's out of what all it... the universes? We're, we're, like, we're not universe A. We're not Earth 1. We're like Earth 51. Where That's what, that's what a losing lottery ticket feels like. <laughs> Like we find out that, oh, this is the, you know, if somebody were going to travel here, they'd be like, what's different in this world, man, everything. So, oh, 
you guys didn't get Superman Lives? Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> Everywhere. The Nazi universe got Superman Lives. What the heck, guys? And so, so you, I, you didn't get the anti-gravity boots and you didn't get Superman <laughs> Lives. Man, you guys really missed out. Thank you so much for listening to the Watching Comics podcast. So check us out at watchingcomics.com and hit us up on the Twitters. We are at Twitter at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod. We want to hear your thoughts about Superman Lives and uh, see, did you think Nicolas Cage could carry this bad boy? Or do you think it would have been the right kind of awesomely bad? It's going to be one of the two. But hit us up. We want to know what you think. And of course, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us through, be sure to give us a rating and a review. It would be very generous of you, and we would be super grateful. Thank you so much. We are going to be coming at you next week with some more great stuff. See you then. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.